got this really bad jabbing headache. So I kind of laid down for a little bit and said, oh God, I have this really bad headache. I'm going to take a Panadol or a paracetamol and have a little rest, but I don't want to cancel on my friends because it's the first time in months that I'm, I'm going to be able to meet them. So I got ready, I kind of forced myself to go out because I, I was that kind of person. Like I said, I was always out and about, always busy and doing something. So yeah, I pushed myself to go out and the headache kind of didn't subside. So as the week went on after the tent, what I thought was a migraine got worse. So I called my GP and because it was coming up to Christmas, the GP was really busy. The GP kind of tested all of my, my vitals and everything. My blood pressure was fine, but she said maybe go to A&E and have a um, brain scan just to be sure that everything's okay. So I was a bit surprised by this, a bit taken back to, to get a brain scan sounds uh, a bit scary. I went out and kind of told my dad I wasn't driving at this point because the headache was so bad. I was driving my car, but because the headache was so bad, I asked him to drive me to the GP. I got myself to the reception and I tried to speak to the receptionist to tell her that I had this letter for a brain scan, but I was completely incoherent at this point. I couldn't, I didn't even know my own name, couldn't speak. And she knew, the receptionist knew that there was something wrong, so got me to triage straight away practically. And when I was registering my details, or trying to register my details with the nurse and triage, nothing was coming out. I didn't know my own name, I didn't know my date of birth. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Today we hear from Sharon Fitz-Harris from Kildare, Ireland. Sharon was 31 when she suffered her stroke. I was working in marketing and it was during COVID, so I had just been made redundant. I was working in the tourism industry, so as you can imagine, tourism was hit hard during COVID. So that's why I was made redundant. And I was actually looking for other jobs, keeping myself busy. And I had a second round interview lined up. And I was actually planning on doing my second round interview on a Monday. And I had my stroke on the Saturday. So I never got to have that second interview. So yeah, it all went downhill, unfortunately. December 10th, I was getting ready for a second round interview. And I had kind of because I had been made redundant I had time on my hands so I was wrapping my Christmas presents I was lining things up for a new job I had plans on the 10th of December to meet friends and um, because Covid restrictions had actually lifted a little bit and um, it was the first time in a while that the restrictions had kind of softened so I was looking forward to meeting a couple of friends and then out of nowhere I got this really bad jabbing headache so I kind of laid down for a little bit and said, oh God, I have this really bad headache. I'm going to take a Panadol or a paracetamol and have a little rest, but I don't want to cancel on my friends because it's the first time in months that I'm, I'm going to be able to meet them. So I had a little lie down for myself and said, no, I'm not going to cancel on them. I'm still going to get up and go. So I got ready. I kind of forced myself to go out because I, I was that kind of person. Like I said, I was always out and about, always busy and doing something. So yeah, I pushed myself to go out and the headache kind of didn't subside. So as the week went on after the tent, what I thought was a migraine got worse. 
So I called my GP and because it was coming up to Christmas, the GP was really busy. So they weren't taking appointments. They were really, really busy. It was coming up to Christmas and they put me on a cancellation list. So I said, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would love an appointment. Things aren't getting better here at all. So on Saturday, the 19th of December, I got a call to say there was an appointment if I wanted to come in. So I said, yeah, definitely straight away went in. At this point, I was vomiting at this point. I knew it definitely wasn't a migraine and that something was really wrong. So I went to the GP, explained my symptoms, what had been going on for the last few days. And the GP kind of tested all of my, my vitals and everything. My blood pressure was fine. But she said, maybe go to A&E and have a um, brain scan just to be sure that everything's okay. So I was a bit surprised by this, a bit taken back to, to get a brain scan sounds uh, a bit scary. I went out and kind of told my dad I wasn't driving at this point because the headache was so bad. I was driving my car, but because the headache was so bad, I asked him to drive me to the GP. I went home with my dad and my older brother had said that he'd bring me to A&E. So that was fine. We organized that. And when I was at home waiting for my brother to pick me up to bring me to the hospital, I felt myself getting um, much sicker, kind of felt myself just not feeling right in myself. So when we were driving to A&E, I became very, very unwell in the car. I was vomiting profusely. And I actually turned to him at one point, my brother, and said, I think I'm dying. Um, I'm just not feeling well at all. My brother could just see it in me that I didn't look well. I wasn't myself. I think he actually got a huge fright. He knew something wasn't right. He drove into the ambulance bay in the hospital. And basically, uh, he, I know you're not meant to park in an ambulance bay, but he just knew how unwell I was. And I got myself to the reception and I tried to speak to the receptionist to tell her that I had this letter for a brain scan, but I was completely incoherent at this point. I couldn't, I didn't even know my own name, couldn't speak. And she knew, the receptionist knew that there was something wrong, so got me to triage straight away practically. And when I was registering my details, or trying to register my details with the nurse and triage, nothing was coming out. I didn't know my own name. I didn't know my date of birth. So I was kind of looking, it was, was COVID. My brother wasn't meant to be there, but he had to be called in to assist me. He had to register all of my details. And it was just a horrible, horrible situation. So he was able to help me to do that much. And then because it was COVID, I had to go to the A&E side after triage on my own. And I basically only remember sitting in the one of the beds in A&E and not being able to get myself into a gown. I had to get assistance from one of the nurses to put on a gown. I think they were going to send me for a scan, but I couldn't even manage to put my arms up to get into the gown or I couldn't understand why I was there. And it was like, the only way I can describe it is it was like being drunk or just not myself at all. I couldn't speak. I couldn't, it was a bizarre feeling. So I suppose that's up to what I can remember. Sharon's memory of the time around her stroke remains hazy. After that, I remember it, it just comes in kind of blocks of what I can remember. I don't remember the whole thing. I do remember 
going for a scan and I do remember at one point a nurse that the same nurse who got me into the game came with me to the scan and I do remember her kind of saying to me well done Sharon and she was kind of like kind of bumming me up if you know what I mean just to let me know she was still with me I suppose and then going back to A&E and being in the most excruciating pain of my life I had the worst headache and um, crying, just crying in pain. And again, not understanding why I was there or what was going on and just feeling very alone. I then remember, it felt like the longest period of my life, that moment. And then remember being brought down to the ward by a porter and a nurse. I think it was a different nurse. And they were having a conversation with each other. And I kept trying really hard to join into their conversation. I couldn't understand what they were saying to each other, but I kept trying to prove to myself that I could speak and nothing would come out of my mouth. It was basically whimpers that were coming out of my mouth, but I kept trying to prove to myself that I could speak and I could join into the conversation, but I couldn't at all. And that's all I remember, I'd say, for about, God, it must have been almost 36 hours or more. But uh, that was my last memory until I kind of came through again. I was in hospital for about two weeks. I was able to go home after the two weeks, yeah. What I'm told is that I had a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. It's a fairly rare type of stroke. So because the receptionist that I met when I first tried to register noticed the fast signs, I suppose, she was able to admit me straight to triage. Essentially, she saw the signs and was able to save my life, I guess. So if it wasn't for her, I suppose as well, if I went to the GP and went home and went, oh, I'll have a rest before I go up for the brain scan, things would have been very different. The cerebral venous sinus thrombosis um, type of stroke is one of the the most fatal types. Um, So I think a, a lot of it was all about my timing. So I was very lucky, I suppose, in an unlucky way in that sense. So... What my family were told, um, I've learned this after the fact, um, was that I was put on a blood thinner straight away. And I think they were given a 36 hour period of if my body would react well to the blood thinner. And luckily it did. So if it didn't, then I would have had to have had surgery to go in and remove the blood clots. But thankfully they worked, the blood thinners worked. So I was very, very lucky. Coming up, Sharon talks about her brother's help during her recovery. After a few days, they gave me my phone and I couldn't read any of the messages on my phone. I would just look at them. We'll say maybe on the third day, I was able to take pictures and send them to my brother. It took me quite a while to even be able to do that. But when I was able to do that, I'd send a picture of the Rice Krispies to my brother and he'd send me back a a picture of Snap, Crackle and Pop and then explained to me that's what they were. And her progress. I am definitely happy with the progress I've made. If it wasn't for the services that are out there, Headway Ireland, the Heart Foundation, the Irish Heart Foundation, Acquired Brain Injury, I think that they're amazing services. At the beginning, my confidence was hugely affected after the stroke, but those services have brought me on leaps and bounds. I think that the peer support that comes from those services is amazing. Let's hear more about Sharon's experience recovering in hospital. 
My stay in hospital, when I did kind of come through, there's a lot I don't remember. I was told after. My neurologist, who's my neurologist now, in uh, all of this happened in Tala Hospital in Dublin. They would come in and, as they do when people have a stroke, check your vital signs and have a chat with you, that kind of thing. I don't remember any of this. At some point, I'm told that I lost my sight. I don't remember that, thankfully. It would have been very scary. I don't remember them coming in at all. I was kind of trying to make conversation with them. I apparently told them that um, I was answering yes and no questions, but I was very confused and couldn't entirely understand the questions they were asking me. I had told them that uh, I had a family, that I had children and a husband, which I don't. Um, So there was an awful lot of confusion there. Just complete and utter incoherence and confusion. Then when I finally did kind of come round or come through, um, I had to relearn everything again. There was small things like having breakfast. I was able to feed myself, but they would give me Rice Krispies, for example, and I didn't know what they were. I was able to, after a few days, they gave me my phone and I couldn't read any of the messages on my phone. I would just look at them. We'll say maybe on the third day, I was able to take pictures and send them to my brother. It took me quite a while to even be able to do that. But when I was able to do that, I'd send a picture of the Rice Krispies to my brother and he'd send me back uh, a picture of Snap, Crackle and Pop and then explain to me that's what they were. But small things like that, everything had to be relearned. But I was kind of adamant that I was going to do that and relearn everything. I had to go then to speech and language therapist, had to go to an occupation therapist, had to do all the the relearning. Um, My speech was, I'm not going to say completely gone. I had a little bit of speech as I worked on it. My brother and my parents were very, very good at that. So we worked really hard on it. The way we worked on the speech was when I came home, he would read out a sentence from the newspaper to me, which might have been about five lines or five words. And I would read those or kind of say those five words back to him but it would take me about 10 minutes to be able to read those five words back to him even once but we kept it up and kept it up and eventually it helped my speech we would have arguments over it because I would get so frustrated and I was suffering so much with fatigue but we kept it up and we kept adamant that I was going to get it over time and it really did help I worked closely with aphasia Ireland and they helped me with my speech. I had to wait four months for a speech therapist and nobody um, came to me. So aphasia Ireland, basically every Saturday they were um, offering a speech therapy room online where people that were suffering from aphasia or any speech problems were able to go in and kind of just have a chat for an hour online. So they really, really helped me. It was other people who had strokes and brain injuries. So that was brilliant that they were there to do that. They're still doing it for uh, people that are in that situation. So they were fantastic. My memory, I had a lot of problems with and weakness in my right arm. So there are things that I'm still working on um, and I'm kind of leaning on Wired Brain Injury Ireland and Headway Ireland for things like that. So there's a lot of services that I'm working with on things on small things like that. So I'm very lucky that they're there and I have those kind of helping me out as well. Even though it's almost three years on, I'm still I'm still working away in the background to kind of get myself back up to where I should be. Sharon's stroke has greatly impacted her everyday life. 
my independence has 100% been taken from me. Sometimes I feel like I've taken a step back in life. I feel like I'm 15 again at times. I'm back living with my parents. I can't drive. One of the things I probably should have mentioned before, but since the stroke, I now have seizures. Um, I've been diagnosed with epilepsy. I only found that out. So I had my stroke in December 2020. And then in the February 2020, I got diagnosed with epilepsy. So now that's something I kind of have to deal with as well. So I am having focal seizures fairly regularly and I'm on medication for that. And it will be for the foreseeable future. So it's kind of, I can't drive now, which I was doing all the time before. So I do, I I feel a little bit like, yeah, I've gone back in time. I kind of have to be watched by my parents there kind of always has to be someone around in case I am to take a, a tonic-clonic seizure it's just I, I 100% feel like I've I've just lost my independence I just lost my me time if you get me I know I was saying before at the beginning that I would have been very much an outgoing person very much a, a busy person have a busy lifestyle but now since the stroke I'm very much struck by fatigue so I'm kind of every day I need to have a little nap. I always have to make sure that I'm taking my medication if I miss because of my memory problems. If I miss my medication, that's, that would be a huge impact on my health. So, yeah, everything is just it's it's a whole different lifestyle now. It's crazy how one minute you're living in it, I suppose, a, a rat race or everything. You think small things in life are so important, like your career, finances, and you've got all these uh, kind of social expectations and then a serious illness or something with your health can just strike. And then all of a sudden you've got these cognitive problems or like something like that can just be such a, a change in your life and it, like a life threatening illness. And it just really puts things into perspective. I am definitely happy with the progress I've made. If it wasn't for the services that are out there, Headway Ireland, the Heart Foundation, the Irish Heart Foundation, Acquired Brain Injury, I think that they're amazing services. At the beginning, my confidence was hugely affected after the stroke, but those services have brought me on leaps and bounds. I think that the peer support that comes from those services is amazing. It was very isolating for me when... I had the stroke because I'm obviously a young stroke survivor. I was 31 when it happened. And normally when you hear of a stroke, I think a young person, for example, like a lot of my friends and that kind of thing would go, God, um, and even myself when it happened, God, that's you kind of associate it with older people. But when it happened to me, I kind of went, oh God, I don't know any younger people who've had a stroke. And then when I started it with these services I've met so many people unfortunately in the same boat as me and if it wasn't for those services I'd feel very much alone I don't think I'd be where I am today I've met some really good friends through those services and uh, I just think they're fantastic I think if I was to give any advice to a person a young stroke survivor or even a, a young person who've, who's had a brain injury it would be to lean on those services hundred percent. I just think they're amazing. They're fantastic. Finally, let's hear Sharon's advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. I do think a fellow stroke survivor, it takes time. 
recovery takes time and I think it's very important to be kind to yourself. I do think that you need to remember that listen to your body. If you are feeling tired, it's your body telling you that you need to rest and rest is so important for your recovery. And I do think as well, like I mentioned earlier before, to lean on the services that are there for you because it can be very isolating. That's definitely um, advice that I wish somebody gave me. I found that advice out myself. And for carers or for family members, I think just be there for the stroke survivor. Listen to them, kind of give them time again and allow them to be upset if they need to be upset. But I do know as well that some stroke survivors, myself included, some people reach a point where they can't be upset and it takes time where they it's almost like people hit a, a point where they can't accept their stroke um and don't push them too hard that they'll they'll get there when they're ready and just just again take their time everyone's journey is completely different sharon suffered a rare stroke at the height of the pandemic and after a two-week stay in hospital she was able to return home and has been working on her recovery ever since. Thank you for listening to Stroke Stories. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please do rate and comment to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.